Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Glad you joined us. My wife said it's been a rough week for me. <laughs> Pray that um, get through this service okay. I managed in the first service. Hopefully this will be true this service. We're in a series called Known. I planned on finishing it up last week. There was just another area concerning this that I thought was important. So uh, we'll finish it up today. Today's topic is to know and to be known. Um, God created us with this innate desire or need to know and be known. It's the way he wired us. And the problem is we edit out what we let people see because we all have our shortcomings, our failures, our warts, whatever. And so as we talked about, I think, in week one, we have a fear that if I expose myself to you, what I'm thinking, so forth, you will possibly reject me. And all of us hate rejection because we learned this way back in elementary school, right? Um, kids are cruel and mean to each other, and they may reject you for whatever reason. I was really thin. You think I'm thin now? I was really thin as a child. And so I got made, made fun of for that reason just because I was thin. So, we learn to try and hide things that we think will cause people to reject us because eventually rejection leads to, to hurt. And so we learn that hurt all the way back in middle elementary school, maybe earlier, and so we bring that into adulthood, don't we? But we still have this desire to know and be known. So that's the challenge. So I'm going to start with this question. What if the one who knows you the best actually loves you the most? Or you might even add, the one who knows you the best likes you the most. It takes a lot of faith, not just intellectual faith to believe that, but a faith that would, that would have a guy named Peter to get out of a boat and walk on water to Jesus. A faith that Jesus says to all of us, as he carried his cross up Calvary's hill, you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. It's a faith that says, I must die if I am to live. So I'm going to approach this from two angles this morning. One, what God knows about us, and then what we know about God. <clears throat> so, what does God know about us? Well, how do we know mostly what God knows, what we know about God, excuse me? Uh, he knows about us. We know it from this book, right? We call this the Bible, God's Word. It's actually a bunch of books or letters, uh, 66 in total, covering about uh, 1,400 years of writers. Um, and the amazing thing to me is the continuity through there. Even though people think there's contradictions in there, uh, the continuity of God's message about himself and about us. So first I want to look at a guy named David. He actually was king, eventually became a king. He's probably the most important, maybe the most famous king of all of the history of Israel. He was the second king, and he kind of uh, consolidated the nation. They went from being 12 tribes to being an actual nation under David. He expanded the kingdom. Uh, he made plans for the temple. He didn't get the building, he made plans for the temple. And so, uh, we're going to look at something he wrote. Uh, we have a 
middle of the book is a book called the Psalms. And David wrote some of those. And we're going to look at one that he wrote where he actually answers this question, where he actually is celebrating what God knows about him. So, Psalm 139, beginning verse 1. O Lord, you have examined or searched my heart, and here's our word, and know, what's he know? Everything about me. Does anybody know everything about you? I've been married a long time. My wife still doesn't know everything about me. Mostly everything, but not everything. Right? But there is one, he, God, who knows everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. So he's aware of what you're doing. Not only is he aware of what you're doing, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You know my motives. I'm an open book before you. Now, he's celebrating that. The challenge for you and I is can we celebrate that? Because we all have that dark side, right? He goes on. What else does God know? Well, he sees me when I travel and when I rest at home. He knows everything I do. He knows what I am going to say even before I say it. (laughs) So he knows my thoughts. He knows what I'm going to say. He knows what I'm doing. He knows everything about me, right? Then he says this. You go before me and follow me. I love this phrase. Where is God? We say, well, God's everywhere, right? God dwells in us if we're believers. Um, He's beside us. But here's the cool thing. Really think about God's going before me. He's kind of clearing a path before me, right? And then I don't have to worry behind me because he's protecting behind me. What an amazing image. Then he says, you place your hand of blessings on my head. Some translations say, put your hand on my shoulder. Isn't it kind of cool when somebody comes up to you and puts their hand on your shoulder? There's just some kind of comfort to that. There's some kind of connection with that, support to that. Then he says, such knowledge is just too wonderful for me. It's it's just beyond my comprehension. It's so amazing, God, that you know me that intimately. He says, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. Thank God I can never escape from your spirit. (laughs) I can never get away from your presence. So he's expressing this amazing feeling he has knowing that God knows him inside and out. God knows him better than he knows himself. The same is true of you and I. Now, this can be a little upsetting or disturbing, can it? Because, you know, God knows all those ugly things inside of me. He knows all my faults. He knows all my sins and shortcomings. So, he knows. He knows it all, right? How does he respond? To us. This word no, it shows up five times in those first like four verses. It's a Hebrew word. That's the word we would say yada, but it's yada is the correct way to pronounce it. And it doesn't mean just to know the facts. All right? It means to know through experience or through relationship. First summary, it shows up in this book. 
is Genesis chapter 4. And in the old King James versions of the Bible, it would say, Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. That's the most intimate of relationships, right? The other cool thing about that is that a result of that intimacy was it produced a new life. So I put this on your outline. Knowing something is not just to inform you. It's to transform you. The fact that God knows you intimately. It's not just for facts. It's for transformation. So, it's a cool psalm. We don't have time to look at all. There's part in there about um, God knows us in the womb. So most of us don't feel comfortable with abortion for that reason. And then we get to the end of the psalm. It says this. Search me, O God. Well, God already knows, (laughs) right? But David's asking God or giving God permission to do what he's already doing. Search me, O God. Uh, and, and, and know me. I want you to know me intimately. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, my fears and worries. And here he says, then this. This is how he ends. So then point out anything in me that offends you. We call that a sin, right? So point out my sins and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This life isn't, this intimate relationship with God isn't just for now. It goes on for eternity. So here's my question for you. How do you and I recognize sin in our lives? It's funny. When we're a new Christian, or um, certain things seem like terrible sins to us. Then if you've been a Christian for a long time, after a while, some of those things aren't even sins anymore. Right? And there are things you didn't even think of back then that you think are sins now. And these are sins that are probably more important than those Sins you thought were a problem at the, back, <clears throat> at the beginning. So it's a, a tr- maturing growth process. So all along the line, what do you and I need to do? We say, God, <laughs> he can use this word. He can use a song. He can just use a thought in your mind saying, um, yeah, you got this shortcoming over here. Well, it's more than a shortcoming. <laughs> it's a sin. I think you need to work on that. So you and I should have that attitude or approach to God. I know you know them all anyway, so point them out to me, the things I need to work on, the things I need to improve. It's an interesting thing. I put this on your outline. When people know, the people that know you the best, that power, that has the power to change us, doesn't it? So first I want to give an example about God, then I'll give you a more earthly example. Uh, most of you have heard this story. Back when I was um, graduating from high school and 17 years old, and my best grades in school were science and math. And so I enrolled at the University of Maryland uh, in the engineering program. Um, my cousin worked there, and he lived near where I did in Glen Burnie. So he was driving back and forth every day. And I didn't have a lot of money. My family didn't. Um, as it turned out, my dad died that first year of college. And so um, that's what I did. So I went to orientation that summer to be an engineer. Well, God came knocking that, that, that summer and he said, um, I think you're on the wrong track. I think, in uh, fact, God knows. Um, you'd be better off, you're more gifted to being a pastor. 
Now, if you would ask me that, I would say, you're crazy. My sister would tell you, she's here. Um, I love God, I love church, I love God's Word. I only started going to church as a teenager, but, um, but I was very, very shy. And that doesn't bode very well for somebody who's got to get up and talk in front of people. But see, God knew me better than I knew myself. And so now I've been a pastor for 40 years. More than 40. I can't imagine my life any differently. But that knowledge that God had in me changed me. Some of you are married. Some of you have really close friends. Think of somebody that knows you the best. Of course, my wife does, me. And this week, being sick, a couple days ago, my wife said, I know you didn't realize it, but you went a little short with me. <laughs> and I said, well, that's not an excuse. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. But what does that cause me to do? Because it need to change, right? I need to be more respectful of my wife, even when I don't feel well. And the cool thing about small group is <laughs> my knowledge of other people makes me better. Of, of somebody in my group. I need to be more generous like them. When I see this passion to get to know God better than somebody else, I, I, I need to have that passion that they have. It's just a cool, cool way that, that that interaction works. First Corinthians 13, we title it uh, the love chapter because it talks about love. And... Um, most of us kind of know that middle part where it describes love, and some of us know that last part. But this is the next to the last verse. I'll read it, read it to you. All that I know now, Paul is writing, so I can say it about you and I, is partial and incomplete. We don't know it all. But then, in the future, I will know everything completely. Isn't that a cool thought? We'll know it all eventually just as God now knows me completely. What a cool thought. So, question we started off with. What if the one who knows you the best actually loves you the most? So, now, what do we know about God? Again, mostly comes from this book, right? Now, we, Old Testament's about three-quarters of that book. And if you're not a believer, I would just encourage you to check it out. All right? You're not a Jesus follower. Uh, in the Old Testament, God tried to reveal himself. In the garden to Adam and Eve, through uh, prophets, um, through uh, sacrificial system, etc., etc. So, God's trying to reveal himself to the Old Testament. Then we get to the... Uh, a point in history. And if I was to ask you, what is the tipping point in history of us getting to know God? You might say crucifixion. Um, a lot of people are crucified. So many of us would point to the resurrection. That's where Jesus paid the penalty for you and I so we'd have a relationship with God. But I might suggest to you, it goes back to what we call Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. So God goes, okay, I've given you all this stuff in the Old Testament, thousands of years, and 
you know what? I can, the clearest way I can make you get to know me, understand me, is I just take on a body and hang out with you, spend time with you. So Jesus came, God came in flesh. So you want to know what God's like? The easiest way to know what God's like is to look at Jesus, right? Just look at Jesus. So that's what I want us to do for a couple of minutes. Um, first, I want to look at a, at a story where Jesus and his disciples were traveling from Jerusalem down south, up north to get Galilee, where Jesus was from. The problem is, I didn't put a map up there, but there was this land mass in between, not very big, called Samaria. And Jews hated Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They were less than human. And most of the time, Jews would go around Samaria rather than go through it. So we get this fascinating story. It's in John chapter 4, where Jesus, with his disciples, goes through Samaria. It's the middle of the day. They're at this well. And Jesus sends the disciples. He stays there by the well by himself, sends the disciples into town to get lunch. Well, along comes this woman. Now, women didn't go to the well in the middle of the day. They went morning or evening when it wasn't so hot. So this woman, <coughs> excuse me, comes to the well in the middle of the day. So this amazing encounter happens that <coughs> hard to imagine would ever happen. First, that, that Jesus would be in Samaria, being a Jewish rabbi, this Samaritan not only a Samaritan, but a woman. So a man and a woman wouldn't be seen in public, especially a man and a Samaritan woman. And she comes to the well to get water. And so Jesus says, hey, can you give me some water? And they have this conversation about water. And he says, ah, I can give you some water. And she'll never thirst again. Of course, she's interested in that, wouldn't you? I would be too. And of course, he's talking about spiritual thirst. And they get into this uh, theological discussion about you know, we worship God on this mountain and you, you Jews worship God in Jerusalem, etc., etc. And finally, Jesus said, go get your husband. <clears throat> and what's the lady say? Well, let me be honest with you, which I applaud her. I, I don't have a husband. Now, most of you probably know the story. Here's the fascinating thing. That's all she says. I don't have a husband. Jesus' response is, um, you spoke the truth. You've had five husbands, and you're living with the guy right now. Did she tell him that? He knew that. Of course, because he knows what? He knows everything. And she says, whoa, <laughs> you must be a prophet. And then he starts talking about the Messiah, and he literally says to her, I am the Messiah. So she runs into town. Now, do you, what kind of reputation does she think he, she has in town? Not very good. Like I said, that's why she was out at the well at the middle of the day. And she runs home and, and tells the people. She's so excited. She doesn't care if they like her or not. She tells them. So I want to pick up the end of the story here in John chapter 4. <clears throat> Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. He didn't literally, but that was her interpretation. <clears throat> then these people said to her, 
Now we believe, not because, because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. So new life came to this woman. New life came to a whole village of hated, quote-unquote, Samaritans. So put this on your outline. Jesus knows your secrets, okay? You, you, you don't have any secrets from Jesus. And he still wants to give you a place of significance. Could be neat talking to this lady one day when in heaven, right? How cool was that when Jesus had that conversation with you? And then he used you to bring him salvation to a whole town. Talk about one other character and we'll be finished. A guy by the name of Peter. Now, Peter was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. In fact, he was kind of, let's say, one of Jesus' favorites, but often Jesus would just take three disciples and go do something, and he, Peter was one of those three. So, we come across, across the conversation that Jesus is going to have with Peter um, the last full day of his life. It's in, recorded in Luke chapter 22. So Jesus is talking about what's going to happen to him. He says, I, he's feeding, talking to Peter. He said, I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, Simon Peter. I pleaded in prayer for you. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Jesus pleading in prayer for you? Now, what was his prayer? That your faith should not fail. I'm going to ask you later if his prayer got answered. So when you have repented, foreknowledge, right? Obviously, foreknowledge that he's going to fail, foreknowledge that he's going to repent and turn to me again. And here's my prayer for you, strengthen your brothers. What's Peter's response? Peter said, Lord, <clears throat> I am ready to go to prison with you Kind of, or worst, worst case scenario, even die with you. And then Jesus says, Peter, Peter, let me tell you something. Sorry to say, but before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me. Not just deny me, not deny me once, not twice. You're going to deny me three times that you even knew me. So the story goes on in that evening when Jesus is arrested and Peter's kind of hanging out behind and he's watching what's going on. And evidently he's had some conversation with some people and it's, hey, you're one of his followers. You've got that Galilean accent. He said, no, 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 I'm not. I don't know the guy. Somebody else says, yeah, you, 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 you sure sound like one of those Galileans. I bet you are one of his followers. He said, no, I'm not. Third time, somebody says this to him and here's his response. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, not a minute later, five minutes later, but immediately, while he was still even speaking, the rooster crowed. And then one of my favorite texts in the scripture is this next verse. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. What kind of look did he give him? I told you so. I guess the kind of look he gave him? That's what look you and I would give. <laughs> no, no, no. Peter, 
I knew you were going to do this. I still love you. I'm still praying. Suddenly, the Lord's word flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times you ever knew me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Maybe you've been there. I've been there. When I let God down. Or I felt I let him down. Let him down. Excuse me. <clears throat> Losing my voice. So, Jesus is crucified. He's resurrected. Different encounters with the groups of people. We get to the end of the Gospel of John and, and there's this encounter with Jesus and actually there's seven disciples. And then Jesus, they have breakfast and Jesus takes Peter aside and has this conversation with him. At that moment, the Lord turned to look at Peter. Oh, excuse me, we haven't brought it up yet. After breakfast, next. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord. Peter replied, you know I love you. And he says, feed my lambs. Now, a little bit of background here. Some of you, I've shared this with before. The Greeks have like five words for love. We just say we love my wife. We love our, our husbands, our kids, our dog, our pizza. You know, we love football. We love everything. All right. Now, in Greek, they, they, they divide it all up. So, the first time love shows up, when Jesus used it, it's the word agape. You've probably heard that word before. That's God's, God's um, uh, sacrificial love, unmerited love, undeserved love, okay? So Jesus asks Peter, do you love me like that? And Peter's response is, you know I phileo you, which that means brotherly love, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. I love you like a brother. Text goes on. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I phileo you. Love you like a brother. And take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Now, somebody asked you something once. Okay, they asked you again. Okay, a little clarification. But they asked the third time. It's a little aggravating, isn't it? Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John. This time Jesus says this, do you phileo me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. I love you like a brother. I like you. And feed my sheep. And then Jesus told him, Okay, that to be true. Follow me. Just as he says to you, do you love me? Follow me. It's interesting, I got thinking about this. It's hard for me to follow somebody I don't know. But with Jesus I know, he's easy to follow. Your failures, my failures, they're not final, they're not fatal. But back to my question, did Jesus' prayer for Peter get answered? Well, a few days later, Holy Spirit comes, we call it Pentecost, and the, and the church begins. 
in power. And somebody gets the privilege to get up and preach the first sermon. Who do you think it was? Peter, the guy that denied Christ. Not once, not twice, three times. And 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. Finishing up with 1 Corinthians 13, we use this in weddings, and we usually think about it in our love for one another, especially spouses. But as we read this verse, I want you to understand or think about it. That's why God loves us. So God's love never gives up on me. God's love never loses faith in me. God's love for me is always hopeful. And God's love endures through every circumstance. So, what if, what if the one who knows you the best loves you the most? And he does. And that's my, just my question for you this week. Wrestle that to the ground. Who do you think knows you the best? Do they love you the most? Why or why not? Let me pray with you. Father, we can't understand unconditional love because we can't love that way. But you, you love us that way. You know everything we've ever done. You know everything we're going to do. And it doesn't affect your love for us one bit. How amazing is that? Thank you, God, for <clears throat> unconditional love. And it should empower us to love you and to love others. And for anyone that's not a Jesus follower, never stepped across that line, I would pray today we'd understand, maybe just a little bit, how much the God of the universe loved you enough, even when you had no interest or concern in him, maybe when you turned your back on him, and let his only son suffer and die. So you'd have the opportunity to have a relationship with him. No guarantees, but just so you would have, you're one of his beloved creation, that you would have the opportunity to have your sins forgiven, have an intimate personal relationship with God, not just now, but for eternity. I pray as that, as that thought sinks in, that you would come to the place of surrender. Yes, God. I accept your gift. Forgive me. Thank you, Jesus. Most of us here are believers, God. Um, I love your word. And maybe we're struggling with fear of being rejected, or fear of being exposed, or fear of being hurt. Maybe we're fear of you knowing the ugliness inside of us. But you already know. We need not fear it. Your love is bigger than that. Thank you, Jesus. Continue to speak to us to remain of the service. Let it honor only you. In Jesus' name.